Hello, friends. It's Mark, one half of the Natchcast, coming at you from Lake Tahoe, where the skies are blue and the water is gone. Hey, I don't know what happened with this podcast. Our connection was spotty at best, and Josh and I may have just been talking at each other on completely different topics. Listen, we'll see. Who knows? I don't know. I haven't heard it. But I'm excited that we got one done. Episode 20. Whoa, that's a milestone. Congratulations, us. Here it comes. Fingers crossed. We love you so much. Thanks for listening. Begin. Mark in Tahoe. By the lake. What's that like? Oh, I mean, I guess I saw pictures of the lake. It's beachy. There's some sand. It's a giant deep water lake. There's all sorts of ecosystems popping up around that baby. Very nice. Be- beaches, pine trees, uh, hiking trails, uh, lots of people, so many hmm. people. Too many people. Yeah, sounds like a real getaway. <laughs> it's not a That and the small children under my feet all day long and night. Let's get to it. How's that back holding up? What? How's your back? It's fine. Are you swimming? Are you doing your swimming regimen out in the lake? I have not done that yet. It's a little cold, but I want to. You're probably going how- through chlorine withdrawal. <laughs> My hair has never been softer. Mm-hmm. These are all uh, an- anecdotes people don't know anything about, Josh. Oh, well, if, if you listen to Natchcast at all, you know that Mark swims a lot and that he's stubborn and won't wear a swim cap and his hair looks kind of kind of greenish and brittle. Not green at all. Brittle? A little bit. That's yeah, a little green. There's no green. <laughs> it's highlights. There's a green tint. Natural highlights. It looks like it's got a filter on it, like kind of a Whoa. green filter. The ah. only solution to the environment is neglect, which requires our collapse. Ugh. Whoa. That's uh, part and parcel of uh, the book I've been reading. That's why, that's why I threw it in here. That's fiction. That's out of the closing chapter of um, Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy, which I finally finished. Wow. Fascinating. And I actually had genre, a selection genre fiction to read. that has crossed over into the world of literature. As happens. <laughs> yeah, but that's I, why I, I actually, I should get up in a sec because I had a great paragraph to read from, from uh, The World Without Us that I read just last night that uh, ties into the big water problem. We can save that for the end so I don't have to get up right now, but I'll go get that book. Still there? Yeah, good anecdote. <laughs> I'm just preparing people. God, you've got, I've got a great paragraph, but I'd have to get up to go find it. Can't do that. You're podcasting. Right. Trend watch. Nope. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go get it right now. Yeah, That's you can go it. get it. Inter- entertain the people. I'll be right back. I'm going to talk about the uh, trend. This, the, I'm, I'm seeing a lot about this uh, alcoholic Well, I got beer. something to tell you about that, too, though. So. Well, all right. I'm... <laughs> Great God! <laughs> your 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 skill, your flow skills are impeccable. Um, yeah, so I'm looking at uh, those guys at Oh uh, Yeah Dude, kicking off a little Instagram about root be root booze float, but only after. What's that noise? What? John Craven, Bevnet. Does this alcoholic? What? What are you doing? Well, I wasn't on the mic that whole time. That's fine. I haven't. I'm reading something. Does this alcohol? Right, go ahead. Oh. 
Look. Does this alcoholic root beer trend have staying power? I seriously doubt it. John Craven, BevNet. That you want to talk about a kingmaker in beverages? You've just found one. So no, we, we were in- hassling him a little bit during Expo West. We were doing a little hassle. Yeah, I'm just. In- we've introduced a burgeoning trend in the alcoholic root beer market that he's already popped the bubble on. Yeah, but that's okay. You know it's funny. The, the podcasters that I yeah do are into it too. One of them at least. Well, I I actually had not your father's root beer ale. Um, that's the one. Sunday night. Small town brewery. I'd never heard of it. Hip. My friend you had were- it at his house. Oh, yeah, of course he did. Is he a hipster? Is he a yucky? I don't know what those words mean. He's a guy <laughs> who drinks a lot, actually. Mm. But he had that, and he was like, oh, yeah, this stuff's pretty good. So, but, but definitely, you, you only want to have, like, one. Because oh. it does. It, does not, it doesn't taste very boozy at all, but it is almost 6% alcohol. I'd like it goes to down one. real fast. Does it? Yeah, it just tastes like root beer. With what kind of... But what's the alcohol? I think it's 5.9% ABV. Yeah, but I mean, th- there's no taste of alcohol in it? Faintly, but mostly it just tastes like root beer. It's like a cider trend. Got it. Or as you like to pronounce it, root beer. No, I do? You don't. I do. Root or root? Root. Root. <laughs> rough. Get up there on the rough. So real quick. So I got this book, right? I went and picked it up out of my room, The World Without Us. Yeah, we were all waiting. So he's talking about uh, Aberderes. Aberderes? I don't know. It's like a, a nature park in Kenya, I believe. Uh, and there's this big problem there. There's a lot of water problems there. But they grow a shitload of flowers there that, uh, for, the, for, the Europe, for the European flower market. What? A flower, like a human, is two-thirds water. The amount of water a typical floral exporter therefore ships to Europe each year equals the annual needs of a town of 20,000 people. During droughts, flower factories with production quotas stick siphons into Lake Navasha, a papyrus-lined freshwater bird and hippo sanctuary just downstream from the Aberderes. Along with water, they suck up entire generations of fish eggs. What trickles back whiffs of the chemical trade-off that keeps the bloom on a rose flawless all the way to Paris. Lake Navasha, however, doesn't look quite so alluring. Phosphates and nitrates leached from flower greenhouses have spread mats of oxygen-choking water hastenth across its surface. As the lake level drops, water hastenth, a South American perennial that invaded Africa as a potted plant, crawls ashore, beating back the papyrus. The rotting tissues of hippo carcasses reveal the secret to perfect bouquets, DDT, and 40 times more toxic, dialdrin, pesticides banned in countries whose markets have made Kenya the world's number one rose exporter. Long after humans and even animals or roses go, dialdrin, an ingeniously stable manufactured molecule, may still be around. So you broke out. Your for, day? You broke out. You broke up for about thirty seconds there, and all I think I heard was fish sticks. Did you say the word fish sticks or not? You didn't hear any of that. I heard dialdrin and papyrus. Did you know about dialdrin? What? I can hear you fine. Oh, you can. Okay. All yeah. Right. It's just you can't hear me, which is fine because you usually don't listen to what I say anyway. Let's get so to it the news. Doesn't change anything. Let's get to the news. All right. What do we got? Oh, we, oh, we're opening with food tech. Pause. Yep. Done. All the young organoids. First question, did you read it? Uh, no. Oh, God. No, I, re- I did. I, well, I read, I read all your quotes, and I opened the article. I just, uh, the boom it's been a crazy in, week. The boom in many stomachs, brains, breasts, kidneys, and more. By Cassandra Williard, Williard, appearing on Nature.com. In 2008, researchers in Japan reported that they had prompted embryonic stem cells from mice and humans to form layered balls, reminiscent of a cerebral cortex. Since then, efforts to grow stem cells into rudimentary organs have taken off. They produce three-dimensional structures that resemble tissue from the eye. 
gut, liver, kidney, pancreas, prostate, lung, stomach, and breast. These bits of tissue, called organoids, because they mimic some of the structure and function of real organs, are furthering knowledge of human development, serving as disease models and drug screening platforms, and might eventually be used to rescue damaged organs. Organoids. Sorry, I nodded off there for a second. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't no, require any super sophisticated bioengineering, says Jurgen Knoblik, the universe, uh, excuse me, the Institute of Molecular Biotechnology in Vienna. Quote, we just let the cells do what they want to do and they make a brain. Just like that. Just like that. I like the little bit about the uh, that they in 2001, Wells' team developed its first human organoid, an intestine about the size of a witty bitty sesame seed. Yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. Is that too. the food angle here? The sesame well, seed. Oh yeah. Well, the, well, there's there's food and medicine angle. The food bit, yeah, they can do guts and all that, but it's the medicine that they're. I think this uh, the whole personalized medicine. The march toward that world where they can, it's really taken hold in cancer. So, like, you've got some sort of cancer. You have, there's some pretty toxic chemicals involved in treating this. So, there's not a lot of attempts that your body can withstand. They want to get it right. Well, what if you could grow a new limb and, like, test out a bunch of therapies on that one before you actually needed the, did one to your real body and wreaked havoc within? That's where it's sort of catching right. hold. That's pretty exciting. That's right. I'm awake. I'm wide awake now. <laughs> I don't think you are. <laughs> I am. But it's just really. I, yeah. And the, the, what does he call it? He calls it a primitive tube. Hold on. I'm got to. Where's my. Did, did this happen last week where I was reading through? No, no, that was in the fort. Here, let me. Oh, now I can see it. Enter the primitive gut tube, which forms four weeks after conception. Every organ from. Yeah. This is. Who's this? James Wells, Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center in Ohio. Every organ from your mouth down to your anus, esophagus, lungs, trachea, stomach, pancreas, liver, intestine, bladder. All of them come from this very primitive tube. Why are you giving the word anus so much power over you? (laughs) Stardust, baby. You're afraid of anus now? Stardust. Yeah. That's right. Uranus. What are we going to do when we can grow new stomachs? Neptune. Uh, live forever and ruin doppelgangers. special about humanity. What? What are you going to do when you got a fully formed little mini humanoid full of organoids bopping around with you? i tell you, you what people are going to do. They're going to, rich people are going to start growing new bodies for them to just dump their consciousness into. And maybe they'll, I don't know, they'll, they'll figure out. It'll be like a USB dump. It'll take about an hour. You'll dump your all of your total experience as yourself, dump it into a new body, and then plague the world for another fucking 90 years. It's terrible. <laughs> because you're a rich person? <laughs> well, that's, the just, that's the problem. That's the problem. I'm trying to, you know, what, where's the plague come in? That you're just a human or that you're a rich human? <laughs> no, just that, well, that's a big part of it. Like a bunch of rich people propagating all and greedy uh-huh. people. But uh, the bigger problem is that if you live forever, life has no meaning. Like no one's gonna do anything anymore. We're gonna come become a society of like oh, people are just gonna it. talk about what they're gonna do. Here it's it gonna be like a giant. You know what? It's gonna be like a giant cocaine party. It's it's just a bunch <laughs> of people standing around talking about all the shit they're gonna do with all this energy they have, but they're never gonna do it. They're never gonna get around to doing it. Giant, giant cocaine party. And, it will be. And is that because this, there's no stakes? Like, what does it matter if you don't do anything? Like, well, but I'm, how does I'm this, just gonna live forever? This feeds into the content generator theme. I think it's time for us finally to, to explore this just a little bit. Okay. So let's explore it. So that we, we our bodies are replaceable. We're on a yeah. giant cocaine binge all the time. A metaphorical <laughs> cocaine binge. Our jaws are doing, yeah, there's a hungry jaw lock. It's like, ah, ah. And, um... How does it, how do we, we start generating content out of that? That's what we do all the time. Well, that piece of the puzzle I've just been running my mouth about. I, have, I don't know that I have a concrete. Uh, I can't tell you exactly what it looks like, but I assume as more and more, especially manual labor type jobs, are just taken over by machines or humanoids. Uh, the notion of working and income might might start to shift. Uh, I I, I kind of have a feeling it's going to start looking more like a socialist or communist model 
you know, because you're not going <laughs> to, and especially if you're living forever, because like, what's the, what's, what's compelling you to succeed or do better? Mm. Like, what are the stakes? You're not going to die. I don't know. And if they can just find a way to feed us little science pills that keep us reasonably healthy and alert, then what's left to do? I take thought, a bunch of goddamn selfies. Yeah, I th- take take a bunch of what? Selfies? Selfies. Yeah. Um, and then let let people market to you. Although, although what, what are you going to use for money? Do you have credits? Bitcoins. Maybe your own tissue. Maybe you're growing new limbs all the time. That's your currency. <laughs> and selling them? Oh, yeah. Maybe they <laughs> yeah. use you. Maybe you're just basically a big Petri dish. Yeah. Your primitive gut tube. You're growing. They just want yeah, your you're tube. Yeah, you're growing. Yeah, you got a bunch of gut tubes just hanging out of your anus that they can come harvest. That's one this place they is can an be. intriguing future. <laughs> I just also like the idea of if you if you want to robotize everything, maybe there's some stuff that's really hard for metal and uh, you know uh, squeaky joints to do. You need that flesh, so you're just growing arms to like make car. A bunch of arms, disembodied arms, making a car, not robots. Well, that is nightmarish. <laughs> well, you're welcome. <laughs> Give Tim Burton a run for his money. There you go. So, uh, you know, impl- uh, yeah, I mean, that could be happening. Implications for food are manifold, Josh, of course. Any, oh, right, food. Any sort of allergy, any sort of uh, food allergy or leg pain, any sort of anything like this. You just grow a new, you just grow something new. You organoid it. Yeah. There you go. Gut tubes. Well, I mean, what got me was how far. It's like that's pretty. Some of them are saying it's you you get the right cells. They kind of do their own thing. It's not as complicated as you'd think. And, yeah, they, no. started, they started with what, what was it that was the size of a sesame seed? A little intestine? Uh, an entire little human intestine. Yeah. But then they're also do, doing brains. Like they're kind of far little along. Tiny with, brains. Some of this stuff's far along. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Uh, Anthony, Anthony Atala, director of the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine. That's the term you need to know here, regenerative medicine. Winston-Salem, the long-term goal is that you will be able to replicate more and more of the functionality of a human organ. Gangster. Just bang up that body on your cocaine binge. God. It's exciting. It doesn't matter. They'll grow you a new one. You completely dissolved your septum with cocaine? Well, we can grow you a new one. That'll only take like 20 minutes. <laughs> life's, life's great. You like that? <laughs> well, guess what? We're going to have to grow a lot of this stuff because India, China, Nigeria. Yeah. Global population growth underlines hunger challenge by Chuck Abbott. Pro. Big pro. Astronaut. Yeah. This, uh, this article's in Food Environment Reporting Network. Fern. Uh. Excuse me? Acronym? Fern. Fern. So, uh, Chuck, I, so here's I think what Chuck, we got. Chuck Abbott is so much a pro that we, he needs to be called like Space Pro. Space Pro? A level above pro. Stardust Pro. That's, he's, that's, he's Uber Snowflake Stardust Pro. Okay. Uber Snowflake. Usa. Usa. Go for the it. The world population will grow by one third to 9.7 billion people by mid century, the United Nations estimates. And with the population surging in poor countries, it will be harder to assure enough food for everyone. Most of the growth in population will be in Africa or in countries that already have large populations, a list that includes the United States. According to the UN, the United States will rank seventh in the world for size of growth during the next 35 years, with a population of nearly 390 million in 2050 compared to 322 million now. India is estimated to displace China as the world's most populous country in about seven years, With an estimated 399 million people in 2050, Nigeria would replace the United States as the third largest country in the world. Boom. I, yeah, but Africa rises. We'll still be using up most of the resources here in the U.S. Yeah, some of those numbers are so big, I don't, you know, the U.S. grows from 322 to 390 million. I can't conceptualize that. Okay. A lot of people. No. Still got a lot. It's a lot of people. You're going to have more. But that, the way it's, we're not even, Nigeria, out of nowhere. (laughs) 
not out of nowhere. I think maybe <laughs> I you haven't been you've been you've been too busy courting white males. You haven't been paying a lot of attention to African nations. I know. <laughs> out of nowhere, Nigeria's coming up. <laughs> um, yeah, India, China, Nigeria. We have no place in that world. We'll just we be have a, no place in that we'll world. We'll be a memory. We'll be a has been. United States. Yeah, or yeah, just not, you? Not, not, not you and me, <laughs> right? Oh, okay, because Natch, Natchcast is global. <laughs> we'll be just fine. We will be fine. We're, we're opening up a Nigerian outpost in uh, 2016. I don't see why not. Natch Lab Nigeria. Ooh, let's do it. Yeah, we're open to franchising, so just let us know. So how do we keep the world from growing? Oh, we don't. We can't. I mean, there could be some sort of her- terrible catastrophe or, uh, you know, we could do something terrible to some so other country. Many people, uh, famous people like Ted Turner, uh, uh, sort of business-minded people, Warren Buffett. <laughs> I was, well, now I have to backtrack because David Beckham was also involved. <laughs> Started to I talk about say captains of industry, captains <laughs> yeah. of industry and underwear. And David Beckham. Who is his own? He's probably yeah, he's a, very, a captain of underwear. He's a captain. Yeah. <clears throat> so talking about population growth, that's the real um, secret sauce <laughs> to a bright future. <laughs> how do you how do you stem the tides of population growth? And it's just oh, you get wow, you just get beat up. You can't talk about that in polite company. Not talk really. about an ele- elephant in the room. That's like yeah, you can't talk about that's like three hundred ninety million elephants in the room. Yeah, it's a big deal. But you know what does, the saddest part is about all this, though. But we know that the resources are finite. Well, yeah, so, so and, but it's only loosely related. But you know what's going to happen? That's really effed up. Yeah, is that all these poor communities that are at sea level are going to get screwed as the oceans start to rise, and they've had nothing to do with any of it. Like their Bangladesh, their, their carbon footprint is nil. And right. you know, New York City, I'm sure they'll start building dikes and they'll figure out a way to protect that investment but these poor fishing folk are fucked why do you think we live you and i we live at we're a mile high when i go on vacation i go to the tahoe and the mountains i'm not getting near sea Mm -hmm. level no way am i getting near sea level i know i'm scared of sea level (laughs) i'm scared of sea level that's a good shirt right there i'm scared of sea level Level so I, scares me. I don't know, but uh, back in back in the New Hope NBJ days, we I I began to broach it a little because it's it's related to food supply, food chain. If you want to talk about organic food and a cleaner supply chain, well, that's great. But you, the counter argument was always, how do you feed nine? Wait, how many billion people are we at on this story? Nine point seven billion people. How do you feed them? How do you feed them without GMOs, et cetera, et cetera? You don't. Well, you feed them little well, pills. Well, one thing, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, then why don't we talk about not having 9.7 billion people? <laughs> oh, no, we don't discuss such things. I don't know how you do that. I don't know. We could be, uh, yeah, we could have quotas. One kid per rich person. Well, one thing that we have to do the, is start eating the, less. Eat less, one kid per rich person. Uh, grow everything Which leads else us to through, through the primitive gut tube as an organoid. You can have a lot of organoids. Fat, going on. cute, animated Americans. Yes, P- pushing through. Good for you. Americans ditch sugary drinks and eating less. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good headline. But are they healthy? This is Tomo News. I don't know a lot about Tomo News, but it's like a quirky little website where I, it looks like they just take news stories and they kind of animate them, but it's like really crude uh, computer animation. It almost looks like something out of that 90s movie, The Lawnmower Man. Is it from Japan? Is it a Japanese news source? I think it's Taiwanese. I think it's Taiwanese. Taiwanese. Well, let me just read this headline. Yeah. In case Americans ditch sugar, sugary drinks and eating less, but are they healthy? Are they healthy? <laughs> That's good. More than a third of American adults are considered obese, but according to a recent article in the New York Times, they're working on it. The average American is actually consuming fewer calories than they were in 2003 when caloric consumption reached an all-time high. So, anyway, this is just a, an aside. You should we'll, we'll link to this video, and you should go watch it because it's funny. And it just shows all sorts of like weird, kind of aloof-looking, giant, fat, animated Americans 
doing silly things like drinking a bunch of soda. They, there was a, I think they got it, uh, it, some of the language. Although I think this is technically correct, isn't it? Americans ditch sugar, sugary drinks and Americans eating less. It's just really... It's not it seems eating. like a, Americans are ditching eating less, so they're actually eating more. It's just not a native, right. native tongue. Ditch, yeah. ditch is the verb, and it seems to be uh, forcing itself on sugary drinks and eating less. I think they got a lot of it right, though, when they were, why is this happening? And they talked about the demonization of soda. and I'd never seen that guy drinking that cup of fat or whatever that was. Oh, that was disgusting. Was it, was it fat? What was he drinking? I think so. Yeah. And that was the I think equi- it was to demonstrate that sugar turns to fat, and so you're, in some ways, you're just drinking fat, even though it's sugar. And that was the equivalent of a soda or something? I didn't. I didn't, don't know. It was I, the equivalent yeah. of disgusting. Yeah, I, I, I glossed over. But no, it's good news. I mean, yeah, we're eating like less sugar, less fewer carbs, and now kind of shifting away from like a low-fat, high-sugar, high-carb diet to something a little more high-fat Hopefully, high vegetable would be That's, my hope. Well, we haven't gotten the there yet. We're still stuck in the. You're fat. not eating vegetables. No, you're still just, just eating butter. <laughs> the fat car. I think you're right that we went low fat, high carb, and now people are going, "Oh yeah, 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 fat's okay, carb bad." But they're still locked into this fat carb thing. When, as you and I know, the only real solution here is to eat more salad. Yep, eat more salad. Do you have a salad of the week? Have you had a salad out there that you can talk about real quickly? Oh, yeah, but I didn't take a picture of it. That's all right. Salad of the week. (laughs) Salad of the week! Uh, Let's see. What was in it? It was the communal dinner last night prepared by Uncle Chris and Aunt Sarah. Delish. Had a new, had a dress. I'll start with the dressing because it was out of a, I mean, we're, we're on vacation here and we're feeding Ooh, 15 humans, 14, hum- 15, yeah, 14. Uh, that's, it was a good, a, that's a good prep for feeding 9.7 billion. <laughs> this is how you do it out of a we bottle. Take some tips. Bolt house farms, uh, which is a great company. We've talked about them a little bit. The carrot company came out of the spirit of Coca-Cola with his executives, but they, it was a cilantro avocado, I think, uh, dressing. Looked kind of ranchy, huh. but it tasted good. But that was on top of what was in this sucker. So it had a lot of um, salmon. Call it sucker or a fucker? Sucker. I said sucker. Okay. okay. Um, Our connection is pretty bad. <laughs> it's, it's a tough one. Um, salmon. Cooked up some salmon, flaked it into there, little flakes of salmon throughout the salad, black beans. There was some lightly cooked broccoli. Mm, there were some greens, corn shucked off the cob. Mm. Mm, mm. I think there might have been a little red onion, but I'm not sure about that. Damn. Big ups, Uncle Chris and Aunt Sarah. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Salad right. of the week. Salad of the week. So of the from week! salad to uh, killing things for meat. We've got, uh, what's it like to watch a slaughter by Nathaniel Johnson? This is in Grist. Uh, Grist does some impressive reporting. They have a whole big series, too, that uh, we should maybe dig into at some point that's just all about meat, like every aspect of meat. Well, I don't think... Ethical, political... You're clearly not aware of this, but uh, Nathaniel Johnson is... um, Some would consider him the, the new pollen, best food writer around these days. From really? that, yeah, from sort of a cultural, sociological perspective. Huh. Yeah, I got kind of a pro vibe from this article. He's pro. I, sometimes I, 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 a jury's out on my end. But um, this, was, I think, would be a small piece for him, right? This was a little first person, let me go to a slaughterhouse and explore the old but it's, birth, it's, death, it's a little jitters. bit gonzo. It's gonzo journalism. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's at a, a small... Uh, slaughterhouse on the UC Davis campus. It looks like it's always UC uh, we, Davis, we just, isn't it? We just are always like that's we're we're just orbiting UC Davis at all times. UC Davis in France. <laughs> UC Davis in uh, France. <laughs> so yeah, he decided he needed to. He wanted to go watch an animal slaughtered and processed. 
which is a, a noble thing to do. I often think about that myself. Like if you're going to eat meat, you should at least, at least, at the very least, watch a couple different animals being killed and processed. Probably one better to like kill a chicken yourself, clean it all up. Killing a cow, you need like a team of people. I don't encourage anyone to do that. I mean, unless they have the equipment to do it humanely, of course. So, uh, so here he is. He's at this, uh, he's at this uh, slaughterhouse. The inspector, he would not give his name, saying the USDA frowns on individual inspectors identifying themselves, shook his head at the growing ignorance of food production. Kids don't ever see what happens. I've run into people who tell me bacon comes from a cow. Do you think seeing something like this is an experience all school children should have, I asked. Not very, very young children. If they are too young, it might be traumatic. But high school students, yes. So, I th- But actually, I think what, uh, what I liked about this article is that... So it actually comes in this next quote. So he's already watched one, uh, one cow uh, take a bolt to the head and get cut up. So now he's, he's watching another. Uh, once the second steer was out of the way, Seenert went back outside to knock the last one. I stayed inside and watched through the gap beneath the stainless steel panel and could see its hooves as it plodded into the box, a glimpse of its nose as it sniffed the ground, a strand of saliva trailing from its mouth. Once again, I began to tense up in anticipation. It reminded me a little of the way I felt when my first child was born. That, too, had been a critical transition, the beginning rather than the end of life. In both situations, I'd been scared that something would go terribly wrong and wanted intensely to do my part to prevent suffering which gave me a stiff, self-conscious awkwardness as I tried to stay out of the way. Again, bang. Good dramatic reading. Keep Again, going. bang. I jumped, and the steer's hooves also left the ground. Then the panel rotated, and the black-and-white Angus Hereford cross rolled into the room. Once more, the disassembly progressed with smooth professionalism. I tried to make sense of what I was feeling, but, uh, quote, I certainly don't feel totally okay right now, was all that ended up in my notebook. Pretty deep shit. <laughs> you just like it because it has that reference to a firstborn child. Well, I like that he's equating birth and death. And your I own traumatic we're, we're, firstborn child experiences. <laughs> no, it wasn't that traumatic, but I think, especially in Western cultures, we tend to separate birth and death. Right, right. As opposed to seeing them as like a meeting point in a circle in the old Uros Buros snake eating its own tail. You bet. Birth and death. That's the bite mark. That's the fangs clamping into the tail. So let's send those you know kids to the slaughterhouse in high school. Why not? Oh, absolutely. So like, you should go watch this shit. The, the first time I read that quote, it was kind of like jarring. Like, oh, yeah, that's a, what an idiotic thing to say. And then the more you sit with it, you go, oh, that's not a bad field trip at all, my friend. USDA, unnamed USDA inspector. That's a hell of a field trip. I think so. I mean, I think it's your responsibility, especially... In an industrialized nation where you're, you're so removed from where your food comes from, you really ought to know. And, and as this article finishes up, right, you've got the, the slaughterhouse plant master. What? Yeah. Um, he makes that Caleb point. Caleb Sennert. Yes, he makes that point about uh, big industrialized slaughterhouses probably aren't much worse than this. You know, you still got to kill them. And no. If you're, if you're a thoughtful human at all, you do your best. And then old Nathaniel leaves that experience and goes and buys pepperoni with Parmesan and sun-dried tomatoes. A bag of pepperoni. It well, was, he buys it from the facility. I know. It was spicy and delicious. I was still a little shaken from watching those steers die, but that didn't translate into any reluctance to eat meat. So there you go. Just a if deeper, anything, maybe he felt more connected to it. Spiritual connection to that meat. You bet. Doesn't want to see it wasted. You like it. you. You and your 4th of July hot dogs. Well, you know, you owe it to uh You don't want to, to see those animal. wasted. That's right. Acknowledge its life. Especially right. if that life was sad. There's so, don't there make seems, it sadder. There seems to be. It's weird because I think both things are happening at the same time. One, you've got people pushing hard on plants. Stop eating meat. There's more and more vegans and vegetarians. But then you've also got this side of it, which is just a deeper understanding of... Uh, nobody likes the industrialized, large-scale slaughter of animals in horrific ways. Um, but you've got this sort of artisan, small batch, 
tiny little slaughterhouse, like the slaughterhouses, like there used to be in your community vibe or do it yourself vibe. So the like more bring, waxed mustache slaughterhouses. Yeah. Those kinds to bring back meat and be okay with it. And I think both are strong. Maybe that's, I guess those both can play nicely because then at scale, less meat, but just the meat that does end up on plates is better and certainly more thoughtfully reared and slaughtered. Remember that story? Uh, what is it that they're doing? I, I, I want to see you do this. He was oh, like, somebody, slow down. What? <laughs> he was getting up on a, uh, he had to like, with some giant chainsaw, slice down the back of the animal without severing the spinal cord, but like cut it in half. Was that this article? It must have been. Yep. No, that was this article. Yeah, he had like a giant chainsaw. He had to cut, basically cut the animal in half lengthwise. But without severing the, so without doing anything horizontal on the spinal cord. Is that the point? Well, I don't think you want to cut through the spinal cord. I don't know, because that, maybe that has something to do with like mad cow disease and like you're not supposed to get spinal fluid fluid, into the meat at all. Well, then what are you cutting through vertically? I I find that a little confusing too. My guess was maybe you just cut on either side of it. Mm. So that one one half is actually maybe a little lot larger because it still has the the spine attached to it. I, I don't really know. Like debacking the It's chicken. been a while since I worked in a slaughterhouse, so because as you as as some listeners have we ever talked about my time as a butcher? We've brought it up before, yeah. I was an apprentice butcher at a food co op in UC, at, in Davis, California. No, UC see. Davis. Yeah, yeah. I never got to the uh uh cut up a lot of chickens, did a lot of scaled a lot of salmon, did a lot of grinding of beef into ground beef, ground turkey, ground lamb, sausage, etc. Never really got to cut the the uh those those nice cuts of meat. They they kept those to themselves because it was you screw I think up, they could you, tell that you were you were too <laughs> delicate for the killing floor. Well no, it was the, the dollars were too high. They would come in these big primal cuts, like a quarter of a cow. And then from that ah. you would cut out all your T bones and all your uh ribeyes, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you got that wrong if you, if you, oh, there goes somebody's taking a shower. Sorry if that's coming through. If you got that wrong, you've that's hundreds of dollars of miscut beef. So, you don't want that. Primal cuts came in though, buddy. So somebody had gotten up there with that chainsaw and done that work, cut it into at least four big slabs to then send off to the co-op. We could do the rest. It's pretty gnarly. Cycle of life and death. Talk about inconvenient. Yeah. Forgetting convenience. Let's talk about it. Supermarkets have an unbelievable opportunity to build on the semi homemade category, says Guru. That's an article by Stephen Daniels, who has an accent that does what was not that sound weird. Like accent that you were reading in. <laughs> I was trying to do it. Yes. That wasn't very not close to uh, accurate at all. Um, yeah, he's either British, Scottish, something of that ilk. Good old Food Navigator. We've talked about Steve. This is two weeks in a row for Steven. Super pro. Um, but this is a little video with Phil Lempert. Have you ever seen the uh, Supermarket Guru, Josh? Are you familiar with the Supermarket Guru? <laughs> Phil Lempert? Yeah, Phil. No. I paused his uh, soliloquy a moment ago because it was interrupting my train of thought. So now I'm just looking at him, making very, his funny face because I paused it. Very popular guy. He's a... Uh, in the B2B media world, he has, he's been very forward on video and, you know, like little picks, hits and misses. He's kind of a friendly, um, but not mainstream yet, I don't think. But he could be. He has that kind mm-hmm. of, kind of that aura. Anyway, he did a little, little video here. Well, it sounds about- like what he's saying is that supermarkets could kind of capitalize on like the blue apron model a little bit where you're, totally. you, get all the, you get all the prepared ingredients, but it's not quite made. So you get to fool yourself into thinking that you've actually made something from scratch when you only sort of have. Quote, it's being driven by the millennials. When it comes to recipes, they don't want step-by-step instructions. What they want is a picture they can make themselves. Yes. So you've got Blue Apron, like you just discussed. You've got uh, those Back to the Roots guys, so you can grow your own mushrooms. Uh, you've got these, this, uh, there's a whole elixir. Ooh, getting back to the root beer. Alcoholic root beer trend. There's this elixir category where you, you're mixing your own drinks, but here's the peach shrub which, with a bunch of other stuff to just add to it. 
Um, people want to get involved in the cooking process again, but they don't want it to be super hard and not from scratch. Or if it is from scratch, here's it's, we've explained to you, maybe with just a picture, according to supermarket guru, um, how to get where you need to go. So I only bring this up because this is further evidence of the decline of the twin pillars of, um, food commerce as we know them. And are you aware of what those twin pillars are without looking at I'll the let go- you say them <laughs> price and convenience. So it used to be that everybody wanted it cheap and they wanted it easy. That was the working theory of the food industry. Get it cheap, get it easy. And as we've seen all these higher order values like organic, natural, how it's sourced, how it's slaughtered, et cetera, et cetera. Those are increasing the price and people are paying up for it. I began to wonder a few years ago, what about the other pillar? Do we really want it to be so easy anymore? And I, I would talk about that and people would be like, uh-huh, idiot. Of course they want it easy. They're always going to want it easy. Well, I don't know how easy they want it. They want it a I mean, little bit less easy. you're partially right. They, want it, they still want it easy. They just want, it's, it's, you know what it is. It ties right into UX, Mark. It's part of this whole experience economy. It's like people crave experiences. And so this gives them the experience of creating something themselves from scratch, which is tied into kind of this more pastoral umbrella experience. So they, they get a piece of that, but they don't have to really put in the hard work. That's what you're getting here. Uh, but I think they want a little bit more hard work. Not a lot, but they need a little bit more. A little bit more. It's they not that a, they want the work. It's very simple. They want to cook they again. They want the experience of creating something on their own. <laughs> they want the user they want experience. Most of the hard of... stuff done for them. Yes. I just use the word experience. It's experience design. UX is just the easy way to describe it, but it's really more just about it. It's it's experience. Everything's experiential. That's what all these companies are trying to capitalize on. Totally. Experience design. Designing experiences. Let's just call it ED. Mm. If you're going to acronym it, you got to go UX. Just for now. I think we should go with erectile dysfunction. That's what it is. Mm. That's what it's leading to. Connection to food, and then you want to get your hands dirty again. Because once you're reconnected to the food, you realize that you've lost some of the joy and experience of being a human when you gave up seated complete control over cooking. When it's, if when you it, want to get connected to food, but you don't, like, if you want to get connected to a chicken, but you don't want to kill it, the next best thing is spatchcocking it. Because you have to cut out its spine with yeah. kitchen shears. You're cutting through all sorts of bone. Deep you're really getting your, there is no way to deny what you're doing. This is like, this was an animal's spine. This is central nervous system. This was the highway for all of this motor function and chicken thought. Don't sever that spinal cord. Don't sever it. Don't sever it. Nope. You cut around it. D I've said it. You're not hearing me. All right. (laughs) I heard you. D D the D backing. That's an important step. It's a burly step. Bet. I will ferment myself. Did you catch that? Why I made that the title? Did you watch the video? Sander Kraut, a pickle maker by Anne Hussein. I did watch the video and he has, he has and like a little piece of framed wall art that says I will ferment myself. It was like macrame. It was some sort of stitched thing, wasn't it? Like, yeah, I thought that was... I think so. It's a nice double entendre. You bet. Uh, this is an op-ed video piece on New York Times. Anne Husseini and Emily Lobson's Sander Kraut, a pickle maker. After a health mm-hmm. crisis in the 1990s, the link on the site if you want to go check it out. Uh, after a health crisis in the 1990s, Mr. Katz, Christ, what's his first name? I don't remember. Sandor? His first name? Yeah. No, it's not Seymour. It's uh, Sandor. That's why it's called <laughs> Sandorkraut. I just said Sandor. I didn't say Seymour. What? Mr. Uh, after a health crisis in the 1990s, Mr. Katz gave up a career in politics to join an off-the-grid LGBT community in rural Texas. Excuse me, Tennessee. What? There, an overabundant cabbage harvest led him to make his first batch of sauerkraut and sparked a fascination with fermentation. As his expertise has grown, Mr. Katz has become an apostolic hero to home cooks and celebrity chefs alike. While empowering his followers to try their own hand at fermenting, he is not only reinvigorating an ancient cultural practice, but also reminding us what it means to be in a symbiotic relationship with microorganisms that have evolved alongside us throughout history. Sandercraut. Yeah, it was, it was, this is was a nice little video. 
about 12 minutes. Like a very... New, New York Times, well done. Interesting guy, right? I bet you somebody's been doing Yeah, I mean, I expected it to. It was more of like a profile of him than of the process of fermenting, obviously. Like they didn't really get much into the art and science of fermenting, but there was a lot of footage of him prepping things and fermenting them. And I was struck by, I mean, like it's part of part of it's what you say that it's like about this relationship with all these uh, organisms and microbacteria or whatever. But just how dirty his workspace was was uh, was sort of um, not not gross at all. Actually, it was comforting in a sense. I thought it was very comforting. Well, it's he struck me as one of these guys. So I think if you want more on the actuals knowledge base of fermenting go to his book right didn't he uh the art of fermentation new york times bestseller <laughs> well, i think it's a highly regarded book right but yes but it's no it really is a new york times bestselling uh, book i'm sure it is um which might have led them isn't everything this documentary isn't everything a new york times bestselling book um no he strikes he strikes the Natch me- guide to life is sure to be he struck me as one of these guys who's been, he sort of, he, dis, he quote unquote disappears from conventional mainstream society some number of decades ago and sort of has this passion and is doing this weird thing that, oh, we discover 20, 30 years down the line and go, neat, what are you up to? Wow. But him, mm-hmm. he's just been going at it forever because it's what he loves to do. And yeah, it was a, you would, isn't that interesting? I'll bet you sort of. Ten years ago, somebody would look at that workspace and go, ooh, gross, and stop that video. In this day and age, you're kind of like you're, hunger, you're hungry for that uh, authentic. Uh, yeah, he had kind of a freaky wood barrel of fermented vegetables. And his, it looked like it was just in his garage. And he was just getting his hands in there, man. Just his bare hands, just cramming them in those jars over and over. Packing it into the jar with his fingers. <laughs> you betcha. I Good thought, stuff. That was comforting. It did make well, me. Well, in the health crisis that they mentioned, I don't, I don't know why they just call it. Why the health crisis makes it seem like they're avoiding yeah, it saying did. what it is. Which is, but he he found out he was HIV positive, and he had a number of friends who were also HIV positive. So he didn't see it as like a death sentence, but he did see it as it was something that caused him to reprioritize. He's like, I don't, I don't think I want to live in New York and do this shit anymore. That's right. I want to go do something else. And get my hands I dirty. Actually, go enjoy my time on this earth. And not run around like a chicken with its head cut off. I think so he wanted he wanted to spend times out in the spend time out in the woods of Tennessee with uh, what was that guy's name? Leopard? Who was the other guy in the video? I think it was Leopard. Leopold. I think was it Leopold? Oh, I Leopold. I thought it was Leopard. It was leopard. <laughs> I thought it was Leopard. <laughs> Which might be an even that's an even better name in my opinion. Um, if you're going to go out into the woods of Tennessee and ferment for the rest of your life, why not call yourself Leopard? Yeah. Don't even bother with a last name. Meanwhile, on your tax return, you can go with Leopold. But in for a New York Times video, and just the day-to-day, Leopard's fine. Just call me Leopard. That makes me want to ferment more. I, he had some, uh, I'll bet you he's got some crazy stuff he can make. All this quick pickling. Oh, That's yeah. just the tip of the iceberg. I know. They, I feel like they could have shown a little more diversity. Because, I mean, what they showed him, they showed him prepping a cabbage and a turnip. Right. And, a, and carrot mixture. They showed like a big barrel. It looked like it had kind of the same. Well, I, I think to see him this should be on our. A let's pear. put this on our reading list. Art of fermentation. Let's dig into this. Okay. We yeah, can make. Still, look, it's still going to take me another five or six months to finish the world without us. We could at the uh, rate could, that I'm moving through. We could it. do some recipes out of this and uh, have a. Uh, so if we have salad of the week, we could have ferment. Oh, we could have a fermented fer- salad of the week. Just bake this in. Salad of the week, fermented. Well, I think sauerkraut would qualify as salad in a sense. I mean, it's a vegetable. All right, gotcha. It's a salad vegetable. Well, that's the news. Yeah, I mean, that was a... I was, it's funny, too, because I before I watched this video, the same friend who gave me the alcoholic root beer... Root. I was in an Uber. I was riding in an Uber with he and his wife and his brother... Other. And his sister-in-law, and they were on the way back to, we were on the way back to his house, and they were, they were making some, he was complaining about how dirty things were getting, because they had two dogs, and he was worried about their young son, who's like, oh. almost a year old, and I was like, dude, you got it all wrong. Yeah, that is and holy then I, grail. Then I, I put it to the test, I was like, 
how often does he get sick? How often does your son get sick? He's like, well, actually, he doesn't get sick that often. I'm like, bam. That's why. He's got two dogs licking on him all the time. And he's like, yeah, but they're licking the shit out in the yard and they're eating each other's turds. I'm like, yeah, but that's good, man. That's a, that's a rich stew that they're bathing him in. Look, they're they're making his immune they're, system they're, they're, strong. They're, they're connecting the dots between that stuff and allergies and asthma. and You get the healthy microbes yep. brewing. You get them in balance on you. You don't, you don't want a sterile environment. Yep. Like, like old brush, old Mark brush, who used to keep hand sanitizer on his desk. <laughs> that, that man is dead. That, that, guy, that guy's not around anymore. He's gone. He's gone. He's been exercised. He's always evolving. That's right. I'm He's growing up. touching dirty stuff. I'm, I'm working on a new, uh, yeah, new little uh, lower intestine right now. I'm growing one on the side. You got a new gut tube growing? <laughs> yep. Who knows what's going to come out of that primitive tube? It's just kind of hanging off the side just, of your body. I just roll just the waiting. dice. I'm just going to grow one of these organoids. I don't know what it's going to be. It could be a brain. It could be a kidney. Who knows? A tongue? I don't know. How what, meta would that be if you grew a new out. digestive system that was the size of a sesame seed and then you ate it so you were digesting your own digestive oh, system? Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's probably Boros, some, Boros. That's healthy microbes, my friend. Boom, out. Eat your own guts. Eat your own that's guts. Too visceral for, that's, that's too visceral for a T-shirt. Yeah, that came from a T-shirt. Hope you enjoyed that Natchcast episode 20. Some more brain food in the bag for you. Man, it's going to happen. Is there going to be enough water? Is there going to be enough food? Most importantly, will 9.7 billion people all be able to visit Natch.is all at once without it crashing? Let's find out. Let's go to at real Natch too. Let's, uh, let's not forget to sign up for the newsletter. Remember, newsletter subscribers get a bonus photo of Natch casting in action. Bullion, baby. 